Analyze Asia is brought to you by Esavel. Do you manage your own IT for distributed teams across Asia Pacific? Then you know how painful that can be. Esavel helps your in-house team by taking cumbersome tasks off their hands and giving them the tools to manage IT effectively. Get help across Asia Pacific from onboarding, procuring devices to real-time IT support and offboarding. With our state-of-the-art platform, gain full control of all your IT infrastructure in one place. Our team of IT support pros are keen to help you grow. Check out esevel.com and get a demo today. Use our referral code ASIA for 10% off. Terms and conditions apply. So these three things, the continued digital transformation, business networks, and the supply chain resilience, both of those underpinning solving for scope three, circular process and a more sustainable future for Asia. So, I mean, it's just fantastic, the opportunity we have ahead of us to solve for what I think are really profound problems that the planet needs to obviously solve. Welcome to Analyze Asia, the premier podcast dedicated to dissect the pulse of business, technology, and media in Asia. I'm Bernard Leung, and as the Chief Information Officer myself, SAP is an important enterprise resource planning software which allows any company to manage their supply chain. With me today, Paul Marriott, President, SAP Asia-Pacific, Japan, who will be here to talk about SAP's business footprint in Asia-Pacific, how startups are working with them, and the future of work. Paul, welcome to the show. It's fantastic to be here, Bernard. Thank you for having me. And of course, it's, the, it's your first time on the podcast and we want to dive into your origin story because I spoke to Scott Bumon from Google and Danny from Facebook and or Meta now, and they both said you're going to be a very exciting speaker. So I want to know your origin story. How do you start your career? It's nice to know those uh, colleagues and friends are so supportive. We're, we're very supportive of each other in this industry because we've got so many things that we want to achieve together. But look, I'm originally from the UK. I've been based in Asia now for 25 years. I've actually spent more of my life, Bernard, now in Asia than I did ever in Europe. But I, I'm a passionate technologist. I stumbled into AI, funnily enough, during my university years, which I thoroughly enjoyed. So it's nice to see 25 plus years later, right? Those technologies truly are going mainstream. I know that's a topic very passionate to your heart. And uh, I went on to do, I did various roles. I've, I was a coder. I was very involved in software delivery. And then in the last sort of 10 to 15 years, increasingly leading businesses to sell and support and deliver a software, of course, all now cloud-based to our clients in Asia for the last 25 years. So yeah, many more things hopefully I can share as we go through the discussion, but a, a quick story about me and married with three children and a passionate family and community guy as well, and do a lot of things hopefully to impact people's lives across the region here as well. Very interesting. You have a technical background and you're now a, a senior executive in the region. And what brought you to Asia Pacific and what have you learned about Asia through living and working in different countries here? Yeah, I'm very proud of my technical her heritage, especially in this role, because we are a technology company. So, I mean, at the end of the day, it's about delivering business value with, with technology. Why did I come to the region? I originally took the opportunity to move to Australia. The, uh, it was it was very opportunistic at the time, Bernard. I, I was working out of London in the financial services sector, and an opportunity came up to live on the other side of the world, which I just took the opportunity and then I moved from, while in Australia, I started to do more work across the region. And I still, to this day, 25 years later, 
strongly believe that this is the region that has all of the opportunity. We have a growing GDP contribution to the world from a financial perspective. We have the fastest growing markets. We have the most innovative markets. We have the most populous markets in terms of STEM talent coming out of university. 70% of the world's STEM talent is coming out of Asia now. We have incredible uh, hotbed of tech innovation. Just a the richness and the diversity, the resilience, the, the passion of the people across all of these amazing uh, different uh, countries that we have is, is what honestly motivates me every day. We have, we have built-in diversity in Asia. And actually, honestly, that's what makes me very motivated every day just to see across these incredible countries what we can achieve together. So uh, I, I, I love that and intend to, to stay in this part of the world for a long time. So in your career journey, what are the key learnings or lessons you can share with my audience? From, a, from an overall career perspective, I think if you're looking to progress your career anywhere in the world, I think it's about really being clear on your own differentiation. So the, the technology heritage, is, as I introduced, is a, is a big part of what I'm very passionate about. And therefore, that becomes a differentiator in, in everything that you do. And I think if you're clear on that, passion, that becomes your natural strength. Of course, you always want to look at the areas where you're trying to develop yourself to improve, but you know, don't lose sight of those strengths and how those strengths are driven from your core beliefs. So for me, using technology with great talent to have impact in the marketplaces that we live in is, is the primary driver. So how, how do you take great people within, within SAP or within the communities that we live in, great technology and drive social impact? These are the things that are linked to your core belief and then in your role in terms of how you lead and, and drive innovation in this part of the world is, I think, then very much what you do from your heart as opposed to from a management textbook. And that, that's, that's always helped me. And then build relationships. Asia is all about relationships. It's all about trust. It's all about delivering on the promise. Some of these very basic things, I think, are fundamental right to then drive continued success. Which comes to the main subjects of the day. We'll be talking first about SAP in Asia Pacific and Japan, and now we'll talk a little bit about startups and future of work. The first thing is I know from SAP these days is nobody gets fired from buying SAP. It's just like the old ad comment about IBM. So I want you to tell me, can you briefly introduce SAP and what is its vision and mission globally, specifically in this region? Yeah, for sure. So we just celebrated our 50th anniversary, Bernard, actually. We just turned 50. Wow. We were born in 1972. And those founders, their heritage is strongly connected to what we today call ERP. SAP is often referred to as the ERP company because we invented it, right? We defined how do you take those core processes in a business and automate them to create that robustness and scale that organizations need. And that's, that's still very much at the heart of what we've always done for the last uh, 50 years. And I think where ERP is very interesting is if you look at topics like sustainability, that's a resource management problem. So that foundation that we have where SAP customers are touching 77% of the, of the world's commerce is a, is a very powerful baseline for how we solve for things like sustainability. But of course, as a company, our, our, our vision is to help the world run better and improve people's lives. That, that's very, very genuinely focused on what I referred to as, you know, earlier, how do you take technology and, and how do you have impact in the communities we live in? For me, that's all about empowering Asia's sustainable future in terms of what we do with great talent and, and great technology. 
From a from a product strategy and an investment perspective, Bernard, we've been investing heavily over the last 15 to 20 years to go way beyond ERP. So while ERP is still the mainstay and the backbone of what our customers use, we go way beyond ERP in terms of what we do for our customers around intelligent spend, uh, around workforce management, around things like customer experience and customer engagement, as well as an open platform to drive innovation of those core applications. And, and probably the biggest interesting area of investment for me is around networked based applications. So if you think about those 50 years and what's happened in the industry, a lot of business process automation has been around particular business processes. It's been done in-house or, of course, it's been done through SaaS cloud applications. But what we're really investing in is networked based applications. So you're connecting that business process into the ecosystem through the platform, which gives you a magnitude more scale in terms of the impact you can have to organizations. So whether that's connecting to all your suppliers, connecting to all your asset providers, connecting to all your contingent labor uh, with things like SAP Conquer, connecting to all of the providers of travel and expense that's related to that process. So you can create these very, very scalable, very, very agile network-based applications driven through the ecosystem. So that, that's, that's been a very significant area of investment, and you'll see more and more of that in the next five to 10 years from SAP for sure. What is your current role and coverage in SAP? Yeah, absolutely. So we're well over 100,000 employees globally, but 21,000 of those employees are sat here in Asia. And in terms of the, the global customer base, we have 46,000 customers, 4,000 partners in the region as well. So we're a very, very substantial footprint of, of the company's global footprint here in Asia. And as I mentioned at the beginning, you asked me about why am I so motivated by this region? I mean, the, the diversity here is built in. So a big part of what we've been driving here is highly inclusive engagement with the marketplace to drive diversity and inclusion. More than 40% of my leadership team is led by women, which is fantastic in terms of our commitment to women in tech, as well as 35% of the workforce in Asia being women as well. So we want to drive to the 50-50 equality. We have that already in, in Southeast Asia. We'll drive to that right across the region. So yeah, a little bit about the, the region. And yeah, you, you can see from a financial perspective, we're growing our cloud business uh, on a quarterly basis at uh, double-digit rates. So very, very healthy financial growth in the region for many, many quarters now over the last number of years. Mm. So what are the key business activities in SAP like in this region? Is it mainly localization or more like trying to get the customers to onboard and maybe increase the usage in maybe the different tools that allows them to manage their resource planning in terms of the, their own supply chain? Because this is a big area where agriculture manufacturing are happening. So Asia is the manufacturing center of the world. So 60% of the world's manufacturing supply chain originates out of Asia. So that, that's a massive focus for us in terms of the opportunity to date and how we move forward with what is a, a rapidly growing focus, especially around the focus on building more resilient supply chains. We've all seen through the pandemic and the challenges that we're seeing with Ukraine that the supply chains are fragile. And when 60% of that supply chain sits in this part of the world, that presents a a significant opportunity for SAP to look at how we use this network-based technology to create that resilience, that scale around the supply chain. So that is a huge, huge focus for us. I would actually say that's the biggest topic day-to-day -day that we're working with our customers in the ecosystem on. Then uh, we look, obviously, at continued business and digital transformation. So 
the pandemic again, it, it taught every business that you need a multi-channel uh, engagement model and a digital engagement model with your customers. So uh, all customers are looking to either strategically or tactically uh, digitally transform themselves, uh, you know, or are on that journey of transformation. So that's all about digitization process automation at scale, which, as I mentioned, we've been doing for, for 50 years. So what we're seeing that as a massive opportunity, obviously, then links to the supply chain of those businesses. I think the third piece, which that's then connected to, is if you think about the ecosystem, these networked applications and the, and the supply chain, that is where all of the scope three emissions sit. And everybody's grappling with how do you get the, the transparency and the automation around managing scope three. It's relatively straightforward to manage scope one and two emissions, but to manage the scope three sits in that supply chain, in that ecosystem with what is hundreds and thousands of different suppliers. So this ability to put them in an automated network around spend management, asset management, people management, all of these different networked applications beyond ERP that we're building is also solving for the scope three decarbonization and reducing waste driving equality. So this then platform is enabling a very significant sustainability opportunity and Bernard, you're probably aware Asia represents 45% of the world's emissions. So uh, SAP globally is very focused on, uh, on our sustainability portfolio and how we help our customers. And I'm extremely focused on that because we're nearly half of the world's challenge. And that presents significant opportunity for us to, to use great talent, great people to then drive to a more sustainable future for Asia. So these three things, continue digital transformation, the, the business networks and the supply chain resilience, both of those underpinning solving for scope three circular process and a more sustainable future for Asia. So, I mean, it's just fantastic the opportunity we have ahead of us to solve for what I think are, are really profound problems that the planet needs to obviously solve. Mm. And I think your mention of scope three is pretty spot on. And I think a lot of companies here are finding the difficulty to report on ESG and trying to figure out how to manage the supply chain to lower the carbon footprint as well on that. So as a CIO myself, and I'm also SAP customer along with my CFO, SAP is actually the bread and butter to how we manage our financial reporting, financial anal planning analysis, or what the people call FPMA and expenses. So I came, I, I'm currently working in the construction industry. So what are the other aspects of SAP you will want customers like myself to know more about? Look, I'm fortunate I get to meet with so many CEOs and boards and, and CIOs and leaders of these big businesses, but also we're in mid-market in Asia. We have an incredibly large mid-market, very large volume of customers in that segment. For me, every conversation, Bernard, is about, yeah, the, the core digital transformation and the automation of business process. But this is kind of bread and butter, right, in terms of SAP's 50-year heritage, right? How do you automate business process? That's, that, that's what ERP did many, many years ago. We do that across people and customer and spend and so on. Where, where I really want our customers to understand where they can work way more strategically with us is around these networked applications. Because when you think about travel and expense, where even something as simple as lodging and as an expense report, right? Let's say we're all traveling again. Of course, we've got to be mindful of our travel and our, our carbon footprint. But given we're traveling again, and when you travel, you have flights, you have taxis, you have hotels, you have meal bills, and so on and so forth. 
Now, in the old days, you would lodge a submit, you would lodge an expense claim report, right? And you, you collect all the receipts. And at the end of the trip, there's a business process that lets you submit that report and it goes into an ERP system and gets paid. Now, with the business network, what's interesting is, is we plug all of those providers into the network. We plug in the airlines, we plug in the hotels, we plug in the the grab and the and the taxi providers and all of the services that you're using on that trip, which means that you can, in a very automated way, um, build that expense report very, very dynamically linked to the electronic receipting, the digitization of the connection to all of those providers. Now, there is many, many benefits of that. Obviously, when you're submitting an expense claim, it almost becomes automatic, right? You get you get to the end of the week, it's auto-created and you hit submit. So for us, as, as the claimer, very, very easy. But the transparency, the robustness, the compliance, and all of the related business process needs of a CFO that would be managing that process are also massively enhanced, right? Because you get global spend visibility in terms of how to optimize spend. You get a carbon footprint of that individual's travel. You get all of the compliance and, and regulatory support in terms of how you're dealing with suppliers, potentially at a global level, right? In, in terms of geographic nuances, in terms of who you should and shouldn't be using. You can direct spend to different types of organizations. We often see organizations that want to, in Australia, direct spend to indigenous communities or in other parts of Asia, we see organizations that want to direct spend to businesses that are led by women or led by less less advantaged leaders or businesses that are looking to, to grow and flourish. So this network gives you like so much power in so many different ways beyond just a simple expense report that makes our life easier as the submitter. There's all of these additional downstream benefits. And then that's the same for managing your assets, managing things like your contingent labor, managing your direct or indirect spend in your businesses, managing all of your logistics providers. These, these networks then give you massive ecosystem scale around how you manage your business and, and particularly around that supply chain and, and things like the scope three emissions as well, right? That all then becomes instrumented through that network. So this, this is the topic that I get deeply engaged in. And, and as customers start to really understand that, that's where we see tremendous momentum in terms of how we help organizations with that next phase of their growth and their mm. scale and do it in a sustainable way. Just before I get into the more interesting part of the conversation on startups, I, I think one interesting thing is that SAP has also moved with the times and you have been accelerating a lot on digital transformation and moving up into the cloud computing space and even helping customers to accelerate and migrate from the on-premises into the cloud environment. I'm much more interested in hearing interesting stories about customers. Can you talk about success stories of customers from different verticals in Asia Pacific that might have achieved success with SAP? Talking about maybe the example of network applications that you've been talking about, how do they deal with their scope tree emissions piece? Maybe there, there may be something would be interesting to see how these different companies within Asia has been thinking about these things as well. Yeah, well, I won't. I won't go through all forty-six thousand customers. Although <laughs> uh, I, I wish I could, but yeah, look, maybe I give you some of the names that hopefully are familiar. So I, we just talked about the the travel and expense network and and things like the invoicing process around that. So I'm sure many of you would be familiar with Sysmex. They're a, a large medical equipment provider. Mission critical in the sense that if if they can't provide their equipment, that can have really, really significant negative impact. So organizations like Sysmex are using things like the 
the expense network, Daimler, another example, Moe, you would, the champagne brand is, is using those types of network-based solutions. If I, if I bring it sort of closer to markets like Singapore and the, and the brand names, so Singapore Airlines would, would be a great example that are working with us. They're also you know, a member of that travel network as well, of course, because so much of the travel out of Singapore is done on their airlines. So they're both a, a customer to us as well as a supplier to the network. Other organizations in Singapore, like ESG, ST Logistics, Maple Tree, Jumbo Seafood, Bernard, many would know, right? Favorite restaurant. Around the region in India, we do a lot of work with the professional services organizations of all industries, but particularly visible organizations like HCL. They're live on our Rise platform, which is the transformation of their on-premise ERP landscape to the cloud. Very, very highly successful story. And they're also a global go-to-market partner for us in terms of how they also help serve and get our customers to the same place they've gone to themselves. Go down to places like New Zealand, Fonterra, uh, or organizations like Zespri. These are all these are New Zealand-based, a, a relatively small company, but companies that have material impacts in the consumer products industry globally and are supplying, you know, obviously out of New Zealand, but also out of other areas of the world, their products through a very, very sophisticated supply chain for, for fresh produce or a cold chain in terms of uh, how that's uh, managed globally. So, so great examples. Kakao, one of the best startup stories out of Korea for me. Now they're one of the largest companies in Korea as they've, as they've grown so rapidly. Very significant customer but also co-innovating with us in terms of how their collaboration technology, which is pretty much dominating the market in terms of consumer collaboration solutions, can be integrated into our business process, right? So you can use SAP process with, with Kakao Talk at the end of it. NTT, Lixel, many, many more. Pro probably one for me to call out. We had an entrepreneurship project, which is called Green Token, uh, Bernard. It came out of the internal entrepreneurship program here in Asia, which we called One Billion Lives. This was all about how do you take technology that has profound impacts across, across the region. And Green Token is a blockchain tracing solution that is uh, particularly relevant uh, to tracing raw materials at the start of the, of the supply chain. And uh, there's a plastic company in, in Japan called DIC. You may or may not have heard of this company, but they're a very large plastic manufacturer. So if you have like sushi from a takeaway store in Japan, highly likely the polystyrene palette or the plastic packaging would be manufactured by DIC. So with plastics, obviously, you need to have this, this traceability right from the start of the, the manufacturing process where you can then track the use of that plastic and, and create the circularity around its reuse. And this is quite complex chemistry, uh, this mass balancing, which, which actually lets you determine which parts of the plastic are are recyclable, which are not, and how that's traced through the supply chain. So this green token, SAP green token, gives you that end-to-end -end traceability using blockchain technology and enables not just DIC then to get that circularity around plastic reuse, but actually also as a consumer, you can they can provide that also transparency to the end consumer to know that that plastic is actually going to be recycled. And I, I, you start to apply that at scale, given the challenge with, with plastic waste, a really relevant piece of technology right, that's been used by many customers now in Asia, across the world. And I'm super proud that that came out of an entrepreneurship program that ran within SAP Asia. And now that's part of SAP's global product portfolio. So many parts to that story, but a great example of, of, of where we're impacting in a very sustainable way. 
Mm. This is interesting because prior to this interview, I didn't know that SAP actually also work with startups within your own ecosystem through the SAP.io and then this uh, sustainability with the green token use case. But I just want to have one question on that. Specifically for startups, how does SAP facilitate startups to build their innovations on the SAP IO side? Like, I mean, the green token was a very good use case where you showcase how it can be used by plastics and tracking, etc. You probably can even do track carbon credits as that's one of the key applications on the blockchain technology. So the green token literally started as an employee engagement project as part of an entrepreneurship program we run internally, then went into SAP IO, which is our global program for startups, which is actually going and, and, and looking in the marketplace for technology and, and startups where we can support them, aligned to our goals of, of driving, obviously, our own product portfolio, but also uh, helping the world run better and improving people's lives. So SAP IO operates around the world. It's supported around about 400 plus startups to date. There's 11 SAP IO hubs around the world. Super proud that we've got those in Tokyo. We've got them. Got one in Singapore, Bangalore, and also Shanghai. So four out of the 11 sit, sit in this part of the world, quite rightly. And we, we look at how we work with startups, typically engagements with the startups goes for around about 12 weeks. We assign a lot of support to them in terms of either how do they establish the, the governance around how they run the company, the business case, and, and how that's truly differentiated in terms of their right to win in terms of the technology and the solutions they're developing. Obviously, technical capabilities, and then also even help with accessing funding in the marketplace in terms of how they get continued investment. Big focus on sustainability. We we launched our first dedicated sustainability cohort last year. So we have a number of startups now that are, are building highly uh, circular-based applications in our network, which is great to see. And, and lots of success that has come out of that program, Bernard. A, a great example is a company called Paradox. They are globally headquartered out of Singapore and San Francisco. Paradox, you, you'd like this one? Paradox uses AI in the recruiting process. So it's, it's, it's technology automation with AI to accelerate in a very personalized way the recruiting process, right from perhaps talent in the marketplace that's coming to you to ask initial questions about the company and, and, and the roles and the opportunity, but obviously then through the process more formally as, as you hire recruit and manage that talent into your organization. So Paradox is one of many great showcases we've got that we've supported and we continue to obviously scale and support that program, just given the sheer number of, I think there's 300 plus unicorns that have come out of Asia now. So we want to tap into that community more and more because it helps us with our own, our own product strategy in terms of how we complement it with startup capabilities, but also just doing the right thing in the industry to support that community and drive very, very innovative outcomes for our customers. So exciting area and one that I'm certain is just going to go from strength to strength. So what does great look like for SAP in Asia Pacific and Japan moving forward? Look, for me, I mentioned these three themes, Bernard. So um, uh, there's, uh, there is a massive sustainability opportunity for us here and to drive towards zero emissions, zero waste and, and zero inequality. We're 45% of the world's emissions. We've got 70% of the world's STEM talent coming into the region, but that's going to fuel our industry globally. And we have this incredible tech innovation. 
So for me, it's all about how do we take these beyond ERP, these, these networked applications that are ecosystem driven to then enable that sustainable future for, for Asia. And I think, I think we're in an incredibly strong position to do that given the heritage with ERP, because as I mentioned, sustainability is a resource problem and ERP is a resource platform. So everything around sustainability links back to how do you manage resources, but doing it through a network so you get that global ecosystem scale and then obviously really targeting and solving for things like scope three emissions. So for me, the future is all about creating that sustainable enterprise. We used to talk a lot about intelligent enterprises with AI and ML. Of course, this is a given, but how do you become intelligent and sustainable through these network-based applications and getting, getting control of that scope three and driving towards zero emissions, zero waste, and zero inequality. So that is what I'm personally all about in terms of the impact I want to have with SAP and this incredible 21,000-person strong organization across the region. But you know that, that obviously can have really significant impact in the communities that we live and work in, in terms of creating a, a better environment, creating more opportunity for young people in our industry and seizing that incredible tech innovation opportunity with with the massive startup community we've got across the region as well. Mm. That's a great place to go, but I still want to get some thought leadership out of you because I think we're having some conversation relating to the future of work. I think one thing that did happen for the last two years with the COVID-19 pandemic is the accelerator to that brought remote work to the forefront. I think now we are moving to a, from a pandemic to endemic phase. I think one question I, I wanted to sort of take your thought leadership on, where do you think employees will move towards? Is it going to be fully remote, fully in the office or hybrid? Where do you think the cultural practice is going to change in order for remote work or even hybrid work to succeed? I, I don't think it's a one way or the other. I think it's, there's a spectrum and it really depends on the type of companies that you are doing. Yeah, no, look, I'm, what I'm certain of is, is it's hybrid and the scale of of remote versus physical and and then just all of the things in between is really down to the different demographics, Bernard. I think the challenge for organizations here is how do you get the intelligence from your workforce in terms of what their preference is in terms of how they work? Some people may be more oriented to be working from home more frequently, some more in the office, and we see very dramatic shifts in that preference across different demographics. Could be age, could be gender, could be location, geography, and so on and so. And obviously, the role of it, the individual roles and the business areas of your organization might have different preferences. So it's it's definitely hybrid, and there's a very sliding scale of what that looks like by location, by business unit, by individual. So for us at SAP and what I really believe is you have to empower the individual. You have to have an empowerment culture where each individual within the teams that they operate are given the flexibility to work in a way that is most productive to them, most productive to get their day-to-day work responsibility done, but also what gives them the best work-life balance, right? Those Those two things combined. And the trick to then getting that right is is having the intelligence of across all those different demographics of how are they currently working, how do they want to work, and how do we support them as leaders to create that most optimal uh, environment. And we're working super hard on doing that for our own organization. We call it Pledge to Flex. 
So I'm committed for all employees to be empowered in terms of how they manage that themselves in the context of the teams they work in to get that best work productivity, but also work-life balance. I won't kid you that it's easy to do. It's not. And it's all about constantly evolving that and purposeful engagement. It's all about empathetic and authentic engagement with your teams to truly understand what they want, creating that environment for them, empowering them, giving them that flex. And I think then you see these teams go from strength to strength. And I think that this is table stakes for people. Young people coming into our industry are increasingly demanding this. It's a table stakes. They, Of course, people come into the industry to work, to earn money, but they're also looking for organizations that have that empowerment in terms of that flexible workplace, that pledge to flex, but also are purposeful because we want employees to join SAP to drive how you make the world run better and improve people's lives and and and, and empower that sustainable future for Asia. So purpose-driven, highly empowered, flexible, absolutely hybrid, but as an organization, be prepared, right? Different parts of your organization are going to have different, they're going to be on different ranges of that spectrum. So how you engage and have that constant transparency to adjust for that on an ongoing basis is, is absolutely crucial. So I think the future is going to be very interesting. It's a topic I really enjoy working with customers on. And of course, technology is a fantastic enabler of allowing CEOs and business leaders to, to steer that course in terms of creating that best possible environment for their people. Paul, many thanks for coming on the show and, and thank you for sharing the insight in terms of thinking about the future of work and where technology really plays a part and how, how they were even thinking of bringing their culture there and telling me more about SAP's uh, business footprint across Asia Pacific and how you work with startups. So in closing, I only have two very small questions. The first one is any recommendations that have inspired you recently? I, I just read a book called Corporate Rebels, and it's a great book if, if you get a chance to read it. It's, it's all about, again, for your employees, creating an environment where you're, you're giving people permission to, to be a rebel and to, to challenge the accepted wisdom. Because I think if you can create that sort of environment, you create that psychological safety for people to, to thrive at the best thing that they do and to, and to challenge in a constructive way. This is what really drives growth and innovation. So that's a great book if you get a chance uh, to okay. read it. I was very inspired by that. And I'm, I'm now looking to create uh, more and more corporate rebels within SAP and within the community. So that, that was a very recent one that I had a big take. Last question. How can my audience find you? How can they find me? Oh, well, you probably the best place is to look me up on LinkedIn. I'm very, very active in terms of communicating with the market through, you know, through that network. So uh, please just um, connect to me on LinkedIn and uh, very happy to uh, get engaged on all topics related to sustainability, the, the people growth and the young talent coming into our industry. And of course, tech innovation, all of which will help us empower Asia's sustainable future. So uh, yeah, look me up on LinkedIn and uh, love to engage with everybody. Mm. Definitely can find us on any podcast platform and of course give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcast so that we can be discovered easily. Paul, many thanks for taking your time out and having this conversation and I will look forward to speak to you again. Take care and stay safe. Thank you, Bernard. Stay safe to you as well and to all of the listeners, um, stay safe too and uh, look forward to speaking to you all again soon. 